Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Anne Philippe, founder and host of The New Health Club Show. I like to invite you to change your mind about psychedelics. Because I believe we are entering a new era of health, bodies, and brains. And for this, we need new tools, experts, and thought leaders, which you can meet here at the New Health Club Show. Please enjoy. Welcome and hello to a new episode of the New Health Club Show. Today is a really special guest on the show. And I wrote 40 emails to... Professor Dr. Karl Hart to ask him for this podcast. I would have written 50 emails too, because to me, he's one of the most fascinating scientists that came on the radar in the context of the psychedelic renaissance a few years ago. Finally, two weeks ago, I was able to talk to him at Neuer House in New York. Dr. Karl L. Hart, professor at Columbia University and former chair of the Department of Psychology, is one of the world's preeminent experts on the effects of so-called recreational drugs on the human mind and body. Dr. Karl Hart is open about the fact that he uses drugs himself in a happy balance with the rest of his full and productive life as a researcher and professor, husband, father, and friend. In his book, Drug Use for Grown-Ups, Hart draws on decades of research and his own personal experience to argue Definitively, that decriminalization and demonization of drug use, not drugs themselves, have been a tremendous scourge on America, not least in reinforcing this country's enduring structural racism. Dr. Hart did not always have this view. He came of age in one of Miami's most troubled neighborhoods, at a time when many ills were being laid at the door of crack cocaine. His initial work as a researcher was aimed to proving that drug use caused bad outcomes. But one problem kept cropping up. The evidence from his research did not support his hypothesis. From inside a massively well-funded research arm of the American War on Drugs, he saw how the facts did not support the ideology. The truth was dismissed and disordered in order to keep fear and outrage stoked, the funds rolling in and blacks and brown bodies behind bars. Drug Use for Grown-Ups, Dr. Hart's book, is controversial, but Carl's way of talking about the war on drugs and how it brought us here, where we are in terms of body autonomy, is very fascinating to me. In this podcast, We discuss all kinds of things around drugs, but mainly we talk about the autonomy of our bodies and minds and how we should start to protect them and claim that we have them. This episode is really special to me and I hope you really enjoy the show. I'm very happy to have Carl Hart today on the New Health Club show. And uh, since to have a proper introduction Without my introduction, that will be posted afterwards. So maybe you introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Carl Hart. Um, I'm a professor at Columbia University. I'm also an author. More importantly, I'm a father. So um, that, those are my important titles. 
Your important titles. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, um, most people in the psychedelic space have 100% know who you are. So, there was this famous book, uh, Drug Use for Grownups, maybe the first kind of um, theory around recreational use of drugs. While at the time, I think it was 21 or 20, 2020? 21. 21. Yeah. So, the, the main discourse was really about clinical trials and um, treatment-resistant depression. And in the meantime, we found out that everybody is on psychedelics is doing recreational psychedelics. I mean, this is really something I observed in the last three years. So, But you were the first kind of bringing this um, topic to the forefront. So since that time, what has changed for you or what has happened in your concerning your work? Yeah, I don't know if I was the first to like bring it to the forefront. Like, um, I think everybody knew um, that people were using psychoactive substances recreationally. That I mean, that's a horrible term, but I just mean they were they were just a part of their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, recreation implies that we're children and we're uh, going for a, um, a half an hour recess or something. I don't mean it like, like that, but it's the only term that I have. So we knew that uh, psychoactive substances were a part of people's lives. We've known this for some time, um, certainly in the U.S., certainly around the globe. But we participate in this um, bullshit illusion mm -hmm. where we pretend that people are not doing psychoactive drugs um, uh, on their own uh, in order to alter their mood, uh, to feel better, to, in, uh, to celebrate, to uh, work longer, um, to feel better about work for a variety of Uh, reasons we knew that uh, but uh, we're so dishonest i mean even when we think about this conversation when we say psychedelic space yeah. it, it's not a psychedelic space it, it's a psychoactive space mm -hmm. the people who try to draw the psychedelic boundaries around this space what they're doing is trying to separate their drugs from the drugs that continue to be vilified in a society. I mean, like in the U.S., for example, the drugs that are vilified are um, the opioids, like heroin, fentanyl, uh, what else? Uh, methamphetamine is vilified. And so crack cocaine continues to be vilified. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the people in the uh, psychedelic sort of space if there's such a thing or the ones who identify as such yeah. are, are really drawing a boundary around themselves to separate themselves from other drug users which I find uh, abhorrent and I, and, I, and I write about that in the book because uh, I find it abhorrent and cowardly because there are people who are still being persecuted for doing exactly the same thing so-called psychedelic space individuals are mm -hmm. doing. Um, and, and so that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, uh, to uh, kind of highlight this hypocrisy and um, ask people to be more courageous. I mean, you can think about how we view ourselves as individuals. We oftentimes view ourselves as being more 
courageous than we actually are. Uh, we can go back throughout history, all these horrible events that have happened. I mean, in the U.S., we had uh, my ancestors were enslaved in this country. And then so when people today, um, they good liberals or whatever, they think that they would behave differently when in fact they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or we can think about the Holocaust. Uh, you know, good liberals say they would behave differently if they were in that situation. We have the situation in Gaza today. Uh, we have people, and we see people are still not actually standing up for human rights. Um, and the same is true with certain drug use. People are not standing up for the human right of people who choose to take heroin, who choose to take crack. Uh, instead, they create this bullshit narrative about I'm doing um, ayahuasca to transcend, to uh, I'm on some uh, spiritual journey. You know, that's cool if you're on that. But the same is true when people are smoking crack. The same is true when people are taking heroin. But we act like it's different. So do you think it's kind of a privilege thing also that let's say white people could say, oh, I'm just doing ayahuasca because it's kind of a spiritual thing? Yeah, I, 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 and I, 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 I'm sorry. No, no. And, and then like kind of somebody who's doing other drugs who might have a spiritual experience with these drugs oh, too. Absolutely. It's will be arrested. So. Of course, it's a privilege thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and people who... I assure you, people who are doing heroin are having a spiritual thing. I, you know, you, uh, Probably, they may yeah. not have, the, they may not use that disingenuous language that people have adopted. Yeah. Uh, but trust me, when you're altering your consciousness, uh, you are uh, doing exactly the same sort of thing. So, yes, it's a privileged thing. But I want to be clear that it's predominantly uh white middle class in the U.S., mm -hmm. but there are also uh, black and brown people who are engaged in the same bullshit. So let's be let's so let's just be clear that uh, as J Dave Chappelle, the uh, the comedian, mm -hmm. is, uh, has said, uh, the black white supremacists. We have yeah. the same is true uh, when it comes to drugs and so forth. So um, uh, it's predominantly white, but we also have black and brown people engaged in this nonsense too interesting but just quickly coming back to the the ancestral thing so i mean there's a, quite a bit of an insight now into um let's say intergenerational trauma of either these groups you described so is this something that um you are interested in you're looking into um also as an individual maybe like Well, no, not not no, no. not my, okay. not per se, uh, but so when we say intergenerational trauma, I don't know what that means. I mean, people have some uh, um, term, loosey goosey term. Um, I don't have to look for intergenerational trauma. I fucking see trauma here now. And so um, uh, when I think about uh, like my ancestors and mm -hmm. what has happened in this country, uh, I think about our the American Ind Indian or the native folks who are here, uh, the trauma that they are experiencing now based on that continues from um, uh, what had happened previously when they were, 
violently pushed off their land, imprisoned, uh, separated. Uh, the same is true with my ancestors. When uh, my great-great-grandparents were uh, separated or violently taken uh, from Africa, um, stolen from Africa, uh, and then brought to this country, brought to the Caribbean, um, the consequences of that still play out today. Um, And so I guess when people say intergenerational trauma, they may mean that. Um, I don't know exactly what they mean, but what I see today is trauma. And we can trace um, the trauma back to those events. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can trace the trauma back to our pretending that they didn't happen, back to the us not educating people about what happened so we can figure out how to get past this? How how do we deal with it? Because the fact is, we are here. Um, that happened, and now we are here, and we have to deal with it. Yeah, and I mean, there's this direction in research that kind of assumes that you could work on intergenerational trauma or like generational trauma with the support of psychedelics, like. Um, I know you're laughing, <laughs> which is interesting because it's kind of the, oh, this is finally yeah, something a, we can yeah, use think, to do this. Yeah, but, but go ahead. I think that's a joke. Why is it a joke? Um, you know, um, psychoactive substances, and please, I don't like that term psychedelic yeah. because mm-hmm. what we're doing is just drawing us. Uh, let's take a step back. Let's, all right. So what we call psychedelics, much simply, um, some people, uh, a lot of people call ketamine a psychedelic, for example. Yeah, I don't know. Ketamine is <laughs> made from altering the PCP structure. They are similar drugs. Um, um, in this country, we don't consider PCC, PCP a psychedelic in part because of the police narratives that say that drug makes black people violent and helps them develop superhuman strength such that they have to be shot 26, 38 times in order to be uh, subdued. And, and so... Really? Wow. And so if people are genuinely talking about a psychedelic, the psychedelic so-called community would be highlighting the abuses that has, has happened in our country uh, by polices, by police related to that drug, mm-hmm. you know, for for example, in Chicago in 2014, uh, there was a young kid shot 16 times um, by the police. The early justification was that he was on PCP. PCP does not make you behave aggressively or does not give you superhuman strength or any of those sort of things. And so uh, this so-called community was silent. Um, And then there are other abuses related to that. That's one. And then some people say MDMA is a psychedelic. MDMA, the proper name is methylene dioxymethamphetamine. It's an amphetamine. It's a modification of the methamphetamine structure, basically. Um, But people don't put methamphetamine in the psychedelic class. And so this sort of classifying of these things as psychedelics, one, is arbitrary uh, for the most part. And two, it really, the the only real purpose it serves 
is to draw boundaries around certain drugs to exclude others. And when you exclude those others, you are really excluding the users of those others. And you're mm-hmm. allowing the users of those others to be vilified, to be marginalized. And that's so that's my real concern about terms like psychedelic mm-hmm. as they are used in the current popular culture. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think like I remember this like these um, discourse if ketamine is allowed to be um, spiritual or not because it's yeah. a chemical yeah. substance. Yes. So saying that if you would take chemical substance, you don't have to plant medicine. Yeah. Which means, you know, this whole discourse about, oh, it's not, it's not a plan. It can't be spiritual, but that's absolutely yeah. not true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so that's another term like plant yeah. medicines, opioids, a plant medicine, cannabis, a plant medicine. Also, yeah. All of these things uh, originate mm-hmm. from plants for the most part. Um, and then we may alter the structure in some way. But this is where we get drugs from plants for the most yeah. part. Yeah. So, I mean, when you teach at university, these days so how are students uh, did they change in the last four to five years in terms of drug yeah discourse? yeah so i started teaching this class in 1992 so we're talking oh, wow. okay. 30 years ago yeah and um when i started teaching this class bill clinton was running for president okay and he um he was being dogged about having smoked cannabis mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. And he was uh, really concerned about this issue being raised. So he decided to, his team and him decided to say that he, well, he didn't, he smoked it, but he didn't inhale, you know. and Exactly. That and, was the famous. Right. Question. And so um, it worked. It went away. The issue went away, and he uh, he became president. I mean, but most people just kind of said, "Come on, that's a joke." We all knew it was a joke, but it was enough to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when you think about the students at that time, um, they were you know, the students of the Dare generation in this universe, in, in this class. I mean, in this country, where the Dare un- kids were. Uh, taught to resist drugs they were given right. an ed- education to resist drugs so um that changed over the time um when barack obama was running for president he got dogged by a similar question um and and when they asked him the question he uh, did he inhale he said of course that was the point <laughs> uh, so um we're talking uh uh years later uh uh 20 years or more later, he was able to say, of course I inhaled. And he also admitted to having used cocaine. Um, And so uh, students were changing too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, They were more um, um, in favor of certainly cannabis. Um, And they were uh, more in favor of liberalizing drug laws in general. But even today... Um, students are still um, uh, misinformed about drugs like crack cocaine that continues to be uh, a problem um, with their education. Uh, Heroin, they're still misinformed and they are still uh, drawing uh, these delineations between the good drugs and the so-called bad drugs. Um, 
this past Saturday. Um, I don't know if you watched Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Not not many people watched that. Well, we may watch it, but certainly young people. But Saturday Night Live did a skit this past weekend mm-hmm. in which it was a drug skit. College oh, students okay. were, um, there was a group of college students, maybe six or eight. And one of the students said, hey, um, I microdosed uh, mushrooms this weekend, psilocybin, I mm-hmm. assume. And uh, most of the group was, oh, how was it? It was cool. And but two of the groups were like, how how dare you? You you you're using drugs. You're high. And they were, of course, they were overreacting. Mm-hmm. And then the person who had taken the psilocybin says, it's not like I did heroin. Again, oh, yeah, yeah. delineating, uh, drawing this line around the good drugs and the bad drugs. And then later in the skit, um, the the, um, uh, the person uh, was handing out, he was giving someone some mushrooms. And then the two students who had overreacted said, oh, my God, you're selling drugs on campus. And, they are, and he said, it's not like um, El Chapo. Again, yeah, yeah. disparaging uh, a, a group while pretending to be um, forward-thinking, open-minded, and these sort of things. But this is the this is to illustrate t- today's problem when we think about so called psychedelics and as people who are promoting psychedelics. Mm-hmm. I mean, El Chapo, like his main clients are Americans, right? Uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, if you watch all of these uh, shows, of like, course. Um, uh, well, this is the uh, you know saying that El Chapo's main clients are, are Americans, that, that's not saying very much. We think about the book industry, the main clients are yeah. Americans. I mean, we have a big economy. Well, I mean, like, like for example, I don't know if you know this movie Traffic. By yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like, okay, look, this is never going to working with um, just say no. No, I, uh, what Nancy Reagan used trust to me, I so. know. I mean, all I'm saying is that when people say that Americans are the main clients, I, I don't think that's very informative. Yeah, America, the, the economy. This is a big economy, so you aim your product to this 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 economy. I mean, we do it with books, we do it with fucking Apple computers, yeah, we do it true. with everything. So that's not um, very informative. The point is, everybody around the world use psychoactive substances yeah. um, and and part of the new book was traveling around the world and getting mm-hmm. high with people in all of these different countries um, from their politicians to uh, the people in their uh, favelas you you name it mm-hmm. wait wait is this a book you're working on now no that's in it was the, la- in the book the, yeah. the latest book. i mean okay i thought right, it's another right, right, version right, of this okay right. so um but i mean like you say, like the the thing or the topic around the book, which which was picked up in media mostly was, oh, there's the professor who does heroin. Yeah. And then you would, oh, let's read this article. Yes. Because it's a professor who does heroin yeah. and he's at Columbia. Yes. So did you, I mean, did people ask you often about your heroin experience and how you felt? I mean... Only dumbass people ask that. that question. Uh, okay. People in the media ask that question. Yeah. Um, and, and they would do it for shock value. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, um, uh, uh, it's such a silly question. It's like saying, 
what's your favorite sexual position? Yeah. Uh, what did you do last night uh, mm. sexually? Uh, it's none of your goddamn business, you know, number one. Uh, but if you really want to know about, like, let's just say, if you have some misconceptions about heroin use, like some, if someone says, you know, I thought, um, people who do heroin mostly do needles yeah. and um, do you worry about that kind of thing mm-hmm. alright now we can have a discussion mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. then now you can disabuse them of the, the, the ignorance that they they, they may have um, and, and so um, um, I think that's a problem because in movies like Traffic all these awful drug movies they perpetuate all of these awful drug mm-hmm. uh, myths, and and it seems uh, so in a movie. It it's a very difficult thing to do because you have to develop characters, you have to uh, take your time. Yeah. But when you have drugs in the movie, if you have a drug dealer, you have a certain drug. You don't have to do that. You can make up any bullshit and yeah, be true. and be believed. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and and that bullshit continues to be, to pervade societies but it masquerades as education and it's just it's inaccurate and and, and then you can always find some person uh, some person who used heroin who uses a needle and who is having problems and now you act like that one anecdote is representative mm-hmm. of the entire group mm-hmm. When in fact, it's an anecdote. And anecdotes, uh, that's the major problem with anecdotes. They yeah. uh, are typically not not representative. I mean, they are powerful, but they're not representative. That's why we do science. That's, that's the importance of having empirical information. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, so before I come to the science question, I mean, you know, Gabor Mate and his, his work around also addiction and why people eventually would do drugs to to have a feeling that they'd never had as a child, like somebody would hug them or like the warmth, especially around heroin. There's this famous German book, uh, Christiana F., about her being coming from a broken home and then she does heroin and then she finally feels the warmth this is such of a, the family, fucking which incredible. she doesn't. So, um, yeah, actually, no disrespect to her, but... Uh, no, it's kind of it's yeah. the same story. Yeah. But I mean, so... A lot of people obviously will tell you, yeah, well, I mean, this is where addiction comes from. If people don't have this, well, people go into an addiction to have a recurring feeling of warmth. So this creates the addiction. That's one of the theories, right? So you're already smiling. So what, what is your take on this? Um, it's bullshit. Just, to, okay. just so people know this first. Now let's unpack that. Yeah, no, um, sure. So like... If if people want warmth, uh, other people um, are really good at that. You know, people who you connect with, you get warmth, uh, these relationships and so forth. Um, now, certainly some drugs can make you feel good and um, um, euphoric, uh, uh, open, empathetic, a wide range of th- things these drugs can do. You know, I think about MDMA. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a few drugs that I like better than MDMA, right? But no one is talking about, um, oh, um, this person's addicted to MDMA because they feel euphoric, 
open, warped, and that sort of thing. No one is saying that. No. And everybody knows that you can feel that from MDMA. But you say it with heroin because we our uh, misinformation has been so effective. And another reason, so few people use heroin as a result of that. And so when there are so few people, so few people using a drug, you can make up incredible stories about that drug and be believed. This happened in the United States in the 1930s with cannabis. We said these uh, incredible stories. We said that uh, when kids start using heroin, they, I mean, it, um, cannabis, yeah. they would be on heroin soon. And then uh, eventually they may even murder their parents. We said this and were believed in the 1930s. You say that today, people will look at you like you're crazy. But we can still say that kind of nonsense about heroin and be believed. And uh, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, it's just nonsense. And that's what I wrote in the book to try to help people understand that. Hey, look, I did heroin and so forth. Um, I published a book, published all kinds of scientific articles. I beat all my responsibility. My kids are college graduates, all of this sort of thing. But people, they dismiss that. They don't mm -hmm. even look at that. Yeah. You, you know, and I will put my sort of public record, volunteerism, how well my kids are doing, my job, against anybody's public record who didn't do heroin. And so given that that's the case, then they should stop and ask, like, why aren't I doing heroin? You know, but that that's a joke. But, uh, you know, they shouldn't do heroin unless they kind of know something about it. But it just goes to show how silly this is. I mean, it's like the real test is not what drug you do, but how well you treat people. That's the real test. And then so we have these fucking madmen around the country bombing other countries mm. and then we have the audacity to vilify someone for putting a drug in their body when you are killing all of these people i mean this is happening today it it's blowing my mind it's mm. i mean we have political candidates like donald trump make fun of some other people for using drugs this guy wouldn't know the truth if it came and slapped them in the face and, you know, not the uh, and Joe Biden is equally bad uh, mm -hmm. because he he could. Well, he's not quite as bad, but he's bad. Uh, but he's <laughs> one of the people who uh, uh, authored many of the awful drug legislations in this country. And his son is being dogged wow. by his political opponents for cocaine and these sort of things. And he's not a real man. He's certainly not a real father. To stand up and say, hey, this is nonsense. Leave my kid alone about that. And I was wrong about yeah. drugs. Um, and so people like him, uh, no integrity. Mm -hmm. Not a man. Mm -hmm. Not an adult. Um, someone who needs their asses beat. I mean, him and Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. um, anyway, I I, I I will step back. Uh, I won't won't say that. I will, I guess I wouldn't advocate that publicly, but privately, he needs his ass beat. <laughs> no, it's a. Very, I mean, it's also a perfect media story. The computer, the cocaine in the White House. It's an ongoing, the hookers, ongoing narrative. Perfect for media footage, kind of. Now, 
you know, like uh, um, if people are uh, engaged in sex work and people are um, paying for the services, that's their business. I don't care. Uh, if uh, if we have adults who agree to participate in that in that activity, that's cool. I mean, you freely agree to do that. That's your thing. Um, who am I to tell you to do oh, sure. in your private time? I mean, so um, yeah, the, the hypocrisy is just, it, it's just too much for me. It's killing me. Mm. But I mean, now we have this kind of global development of it goes towards a decriminalization in a lot of states and in Europe there's also things that are happening but at the same time like I mean you just said it basically the narrative of pretty much every government is still that it's a weird thing to allow any kind of drugs and de decriminalize at least decriminalize some some substances that eventually could help people so how do you think this conflict is playing out or could be resolved besides activists or like like companies like Dr. Bronner's who for example is always very outspoken about these things but it seems to be like a like two kind of two worlds that the old world is obviously not working but still there and the new world's coming but needs to fight the old world kind of well you said like when people um, so let's just be clear about decriminalization um decriminalization is what what you uh, uh is the law where you don't arrest people for mm -hmm. having personal yeah. amounts mm -hmm. um the drug is still illegal yeah Uh, it's just that you have agreed not to arrest people for personal amounts, mm -hmm. certain personal amounts. Now, you can't sell the substance legally. So where these people get the substance, I don't know. It means so, that there is no quality control for the mm -hmm. substances. Um, and so uh, that's a problem. Uh, legalization is where we can, like alcohol and tobacco, in a certain age, you can buy the substance, you can sell the substance, and there is quality control. Mm -hmm. Now, with decriminalization, the police still have the ultimate discretion to arrest people. They can decide, oh, no, this is more than personal amount, mm -hmm. when in fact mm -hmm. it might not be, but they can do this. I'll just give you an example. In Baltimore, uh, between... Uh, they decriminalized cannabis in 2014. Between 2015 and 2017, they arrested more than 1,500 people for cannabis, right? Um, and 96% of those people were black in Baltimore. 96. Bal 96. Baltimore has about uh, 60% of the population. In fact, it's black, but 96 of the people arrested mm -hmm. for cannabis possession were black. And so the police still have the discretion to mess with people who they, who they like to mess with. So decriminalization has two major problems that concerns me. Police still have this discretion, one, and there's no quality control. You don't know what you're getting, mm -hmm. two. And, and so decriminalization is an okay intermediary first step, I guess. Uh, but the ultimate goal is illegal regulation. Like we've done in the United States, in 24 states, 
with cannabis. So you can purchase cannabis legally uh, in New York State um, uh, without worrying about being arrested or anything. And there are some quality controls, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the ultimate goal, legal regulation. Um, and, um, and so people oftentimes confuse the two, like decriminalization is the same as uh, legal regulation. And one of the things that has happened in the United States in a place like Oregon, uh, where they decriminalize everything, mm -hmm. um, now what the, the other side has done is that they blame drugs for problems um, that uh, ail that society, like homelessness, certain uh, job, uh, high unemployment rates, whatever. They blame drugs for that. Now, these problems were there before they decriminalized. Yeah, okay. But they mm. blame uh, decriminalization for that. Mm. Um, and they've been successful in convincing some people, uh, particularly people who don't think. Um, that's why there's a movement in our country to, um, uh, there's been this uh, big anti-intellectual movement um, saying that, uh, at raising the dumbass question of, is a college education worth it? I mean, what kind of society would be asking that question in 24? Yeah. Is a college education worth it? As if this is transactional. Mm -hmm. uh, as if education isn't more than uh, getting a job. Education teaches you how to fucking think. And this is the, that never enters into this discourse. And so as long as you have a population that do not know how to think about problems, you can manipulate the population into believing some policy that was just implemented in like 2020 um, is responsible for an age-old problem that you had in that place long before 2020. Mm -hmm. We do this with San Francisco. Uh, we, we blame drugs for uh, the problems in San Francisco. And the drug that the, let's say, the homeless problem in San Francisco, the drug that many of the people with housing use the most often is alcohol. And alcohol never in, enters into this mix. Of, of, no, yeah. of discussion but this is what happens when you discourage people from being educated now you can manipulate the population and so for a, for a country as wealthy as the United States to be engaged in a public discourse asking the question is an education college education worth it you know some trickery is going on mm -hmm. you know Somebody is getting ready to be hoodwinked. What does that mean, hoodwinked? That means you're getting ready to get fucked. Okay. Okay. Well, I know, I, I didn't know this with this college education. I didn't. It, yes. Yeah. Just, that's uh, that's a discourse that's yeah. happening in the country. Uh, it, it, we see it with uh, certain um, so-called parent groups who don't want. Um, um, our history of slavery taught in the schools. Seriously. 
Yeah. Don't wow. want our history of the massacres that has happened uh, with our with the American Indian, the Native uh, uh, Americans. Do not want that history taught how those people were brutally forced off of their land and and how many of our institutions like I was educated at the University of Wyoming how that institution um, uh, was built on Native American by uh, pushing the Native Americans off of the land, brutally so. Uh, many of these we call land-grant institutions belong, uh, that land belonged to uh, the American Indian. Um, and that history is not even taught in those schools. Um, and so, and there are people who are fighting to make sure it, it doesn't happen. Uh, and, and so when you learn about the brutal history of the United States, in this country, for example, now, the Holocaust happened in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> we know more about the Holocaust that happened in Germany than we know about <laughs> the enslavement of my ancestors that happened in this country. Um, and so uh, you say, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. Um so those kind of things, all of these things contribute to the misinformation that happens with drugs. So if, if, you, if you really learn about the topic of drugs, you can learn about all of these kind of things. Um, and so uh, when people stop at, did you do heroin last night? Um, you now have an ignorant person before you. <laughs> Because that person, of course, never has done anything. Well, but because, just a glass of white wine, and because that person yeah. is missing an opportunity mm. to learn how to think and to really learn some shit, and that's but, that's not the goal. But uh, it's funny you say that because in Germany, the the time around the terrorist movement, like RAF, I had the same experience when I had history in in school, main class, and. The teacher was saying, we can't, we have to skip this because tomorrow I will have 20 parents knocking on my door. How how could I ever talk about this in school? So, and then it is an actual response to the Nazi government, like in the post-war Germany. I mean, now you can see it very clearly after like mm -hmm. a couple of decades, but I mean, still the intergenerational trauma is still in this country because it is not, let's not talk about it kind of. And then the aggression is still there because it was an act of aggression to kill an old system. I mean, like it or not, that is a very clear feeling that you can observe if you just study documents and history. Like yes. This. So it's not like it's an emotion. It's not even an emotional reaction. It's just a, almost like a scientific response. Yeah. So like when you... So, you point out like all you have to do is check out the documents it's there yeah, yeah. right and so when we use the term like intergenerational trauma um i am i i don't know if, if that's the most precise term okay because there are so many people in our country for example when there are black people and their ancestors came from they were enslaved and they just don't know that history mm -hmm. and so um uh, they don't i don't know the extent to what how they're experiencing trauma and and so i i just don't know just simply because your ancestors were enslaved 
doesn't automatically mean that you are experiencing trauma, right? And then some people say um, um, they are defensive about that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and so that's um, uh, as a they're not experiencing. They, they say they're not experiencing trauma because of that event, and so that's why that term. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the most precise ter- term. Probably not, yeah. But what I do know is that we are still uh, experiencing consequences from that act today. Um, and so that's where um, I try to just kind of keep it focused on um, uh, our lack of informing people what happened and try to help people understand why some people are the haves and the other people are the have nots. Um, And this could be traced back to the raping and the pillaging that occurred um, um, in this country, whether it's be um, uh, targeted towards Native Americans, whether it be targeted towards my ancestors, whether it be targeted towards other groups, um, this country would not be in the financial shape that it's in Mm. without exploiting of course, uh, yeah. Those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like a lot of people in psychedelic experiences and guided ones have make kind of contact with these ancestors. I mean, I had the same experience. I was always in a concentration camp so far on every trip. So, and suddenly you have this like, wait a minute, but this is not, it's not me. Like what have I had to do with it? Or some people who knew their family had a very, clear Nazi past, yes. suddenly they make contact with and this feeling how this was in their family, like how the feeling of entitlement, the feeling of just feeling that you're above, supposedly above everybody else. So, and then you, so you come back to the, to the time now and you, you need to kind of look into this. And I find it very fascinating that psychedelics or psychoactive drugs, even psychoactive drugs can bring you close to this experiences. Have you ever had experiences like that yeah. in your trips? Yeah. So now this is a higher level conversation yeah. we're having now in terms of this. Like, it's important for people to understand that you don't get those experiences if you don't put the work in before. Yeah, so it's not like true. you're just going to take this drug and then you're going to have this experience. Too often people think that the drugs are magic and they do that. Mm-hmm. That's not how mm-hmm. it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do the work before. You're curious, you're intellectually curious, you read, you're concerned, um, and then you go deeper with psychoactive substances. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you but you have to do the work. And that's where people, um, that's where the emphasis needs to be. Do the work, um, and then you you learn about which substance might help you achieve the goal that you seek. Um, and so, absolutely, I've had that kind of experience. But I just want to make it clear, like when when we were talking, the example you were using, you, you know, like uh, you have this. Sp- experience of feeling superior because in in part because of your Nazi past or what have you, but you don't need to have a Nazi past to have that sort of superiority. Like in this country, we have people who come over to the country much later and their ancestors had nothing to do with um, enslaving my ancestors. They Mm -hmm. had nothing to do. 
But when they come to this country, they are given, um, um, they are afforded the white status. And then yeah. the white status um, affords them some privileges. Um, and, and, and that has nothing to do with their sort of aunt, their own people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. enslaving um, uh, my people. Uh, and, and so um, um, it could simply be the contemporary society's uh, practices that uh, uh, gives one the feeling of superiority. You don't have to have. Yeah, and I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's interesting how you have, like, I mean, as you know, in in a rational state of mind, you, you have, I mean, you can listen to, oh yeah, okay, those guys are not privileged. Okay, yeah. But suddenly you have these very powerful experiences yeah, and that really changes a lot of people's lives sometimes or trajectories like... You have to help me understand how that changes people's well, lives. Well, I mean, I think like, I mean, to make it, to, to be clear, I mean, I'm still... Kind of not clear how it how it's in, at the moment changing my life. Yeah, but, but one, I don't I don't mean your life. I'm just no, no. But general. I mean, I, I can yeah. just talk about. I mean, I, I like to talk about other people. I'm happy to talk about my experiences. But I mean, I'm just I still don't know if I'm Jewish or not. Yeah, because I have this, and all the time this ancestry and um, encounters. Yes. So it, it keeps going. Yes. There's not a single Catholic thing that's coming towards me. It's only like in a Jewish community then some events in, in the trip like in the concentration camp so but it's never like no hey you're, you're Catholic so yeah. <laughs> it doesn't appear so I'm, I'm in the middle of you know kind of what does it mean for my life for example I'm just I still don't know what it means but I'm, what I'm saying is you go on a journey that you you don't know where that ends are you in the right country for you for example yeah or should you be in another country? i mean, lived in america for seven years yes so should i go back to america yeah. and so on like i just find it fascinating and this might be a little bit um what you're also saying about working on your f- idea of freedom yes like so because you practice i mean not only you like a lot of people psychoactive substances you suddenly have these insights that other people don't have yeah and where you eventually you know get into your freedom potential let's call yeah. it so how did you because you said in this one interview that this is like basically the predisposition for recreational use that you in charge of your body of your food of your sleeping patterns yes so but how did this journey work out for you if you want to talk about it well um so I have a job where I'm tenured. Um, so it's a hard thing to happen to mm-hmm. be to get tenure where you mm. you work really hard and you meet some standard. And now tenured, you have job security. Um, and so now you can pursue research interests. You can pursue academic interests that are even controversial, you know, because mm-hmm. you have this job security. And so now that that's the the real goal of tenure. So it gives you an opportunity to really explore issues that people might be afraid of Mm -hmm. exploring. And so when we think about freedom, that's freedom for me. Like I'm a free black man in the U S there's not many of us. I know people, people say that uh, they're free, but they're not free. I mean, I think about people like Barack Obama, who I don't think he's free. You know, you don't think 
fuck no. I mean, I think he would have did a better job as a president for the people who are suffering mm. if he was free. Okay. Um, and uh, I voted for him. And and so um, I was uh, hugely disappointed. Um, 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 so, no, I don't think he's free. I don't, I, I don't think a number of people are free because they, they worry about their platform and the response to, uh, to something that they say that's true and some um, something that they say in the service of humanity in the service of human rights they can't say it um i think about uh, for example the national football league we have this big super bowl game coming up uh, on sunday sunday um, those people are not free. They can't say things like the NFL has um, 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 uh, this guy Colin Kaepernick. He, he was um, just kneeling down in protest during the uh, uh, during the na- playing of the national anthem because he wanted to draw attention to his concerns about police brutality, mm-hmm. and they essentially uh, uh, got him out of the league. Oh, really? uh, oh wow! And then um, no one says anything about that. Like real brothers, if you're a real brother, how can you not say anything about that? You're playing this sport. This is your uh, this is your profession. If you're free, you would say how um, how how unjust that sort of thing is. Um, um, there, there are a number of examples in the country if people were free, but they're not free because they are. They worry about the repercussions of saying what might upset the larger white uh, majority mm-hmm. who uh, might uh, who, who support that sport financially, who who buy tickets and so forth. So when I say freedom, I think about first. Um, uh, I'm a tenured academic and I can pursue these subjects that I think are important for human rights now. Uh, port, uh, subjects that are important for people's freedoms. Subjects that um, focus on making governments live up to their promise to their people. The basic one, bodily autonomy. Damn near every democratic nation has in their constitution that you and I have bodily autonomy. We can do with our bodies what we choose. Mm-hmm. But yet, in this country, that uh, the, we recently banned abortion. And, yeah. and, and so it's, it's inconsistent with mm-hmm. that sort of mm-hmm. bodily autonomy. But states have um, um, uh, stepped up and, and they are writing it in their constitution to guarantee some of these bodily autonomies. Drugs are exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. This is your body. Who uh, You don't have the right to alter your consciousness? Yeah, that's a big question. That's that's a basic a very important question. It's a basic human yeah. right. Yeah. It's bodily autonomy, it's personal liberty. All of these terms uh, are in people's constitutions. And and so when I think about my work and what I'm what, when I think about freedom, that's what I mean. Um, I want people to understand that they have uh, bodily autonomy, liberty. Now, with those high high minded ideals come this other thing that's really important 
comes responsibility. That means that, for example, my bodily autonomy does not supersede anybody else's. That means that in my exercise of my liberty, bodily autonomy, I can't uh, uh, disrupt yours. Uh, because if I do, um, no, my bodily autonomy does not extend that far. Yeah. That's uh, I, I can't do that. Uh, uh, that's why we have laws to make mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. that that doesn't happen. But so long as I'm exercising my liberty, my bodily autonomy, and not disrupting other people from enjoying theirs, what's wrong with that? Mm. And so I'm trying to just raise this basic question that all of my heroes before raised the same question. Were you heroes? People Must like uh, Fannie Lou Hamer. She's a, a black woman from Mississippi who mm -hmm. tried to get the Democratic Party to live up to their ideals of, 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 of making sure that they represented the people. Um, and, and, and she wasn't she didn't have a college education, but she was educated. Uh, people like Malcolm X, James yeah. Baldwin, uh, Martin Luther King, of course, uh, uh, Rosa Parks, all of these people. Not uh, these are my heroes, not for the stories that they tell about them in the United States, because in the United States, one of the things that we do is we whitewash mm -hmm. what they actually did. You know, like these people that I just described were uh, considered radical at the time, but all of them yeah. were saying yeah. all of them were pushing for mm -hmm. liberty. Mm -hmm. People's bodily autonomy. Uh, they were all pushing the country to live up to its ideals. That's it. I mean, and that's why they're my heroes. But the wash, the whitewashing of their history has made it seem as though, for example, Rosa Parks, the only story they tell about Rosa Parks is that she sat on the bus Goodness, and refused yeah. to give up her seat. That's not Rosa Park. Rosa mm -hmm. Park was supporting people like Malcolm X, having meetings with people like that. Um, and she was a radical person, mm -hmm. not not uh, some um, uh, uh, doty lady who yeah, was yeah, just exactly. sitting in yeah. her, her seat. No. Um, and so in order to get the real story about these people, one has to be educated. One has to educate themselves. And so that's why they're my heroes, because they were pushing the country to live up to his ideals. Very simple, um, very patriotic, in fact. Yeah, it's true. But this bodily autonomy is a very interesting thing that I think most people, in terms of, let's say, recreational drug use, I feel like we're moving a little bit towards this. You, you think so? I think so, yeah, because, I mean, Of course, it's not possible with everything because of legal things. But I mean, for example. Thank you. Give me an example. I give it. <laughs> I try to give you one example. So I meet a lot of couples, for example, who in the meantime are looking into doing MDMA together instead of getting drunk on the weekend, for example. I know it might be I'm living in a bubble, of course. That's okay. Uh, but I mean, still, it's something that let's say five years ago before, I mean, I started the podcast 2019. So before that, I rarely had a conversation about this. 
And then suddenly with the whole, they, they read about it. Oh, there's MDMA couples therapy. So why not? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, this is something, and those people are like you say, they're not, they're actually a good example of what you're saying, that they have proper jobs. They have responsibilities with their children. Yes. But they, for example, would say, well, <clears throat> we want to reconnect with each other, eventually, even if their children are old enough with their family, which is also happening yes. in a very, you know, like it's not a legal thing yet, but it happens. People even approach me asking where they can do that in the Netherlands, for example, or England. Yes. So, and I feel like the, um, the interest of, or the, you could also say the need for connection mm -hmm. is kind of becoming very visible and also the insight that sometimes with alcohol that's not necessarily what happens mm -hmm. could the connection maybe for half an hour mm -hmm. and then there's a disconnect mm -hmm. so but i feel like there is something maybe also of course in a more privileged context yeah I there agree. is something happening i so, agree yeah. um i i think you're right because like they read in their maps some, and some you know, Like, Some publication that they like that, oh, people are doing this for that. And so that means it's okay. No, you're absolutely right. I think there is uh, more of that with certain drugs like MDMA. Yeah. Um, and, um, and if people are finding that it's helpful to them, uh, that's beautiful. I'm really happy to see that um, because it gives them additional options mm -hmm. I, i am you know i am thrilled um uh, the, but the thing is is that i can't simply stop there because no no um, um i want those people to think about what prevented them from doing this previously mm -hmm. um was it um the uh, misinformation that they were told that frightened them about 100%, uh, yeah. uh, uh, about this that prevented them and if it if if that's the case and then so if you were misinformed about this and you find that you had a great experience you got this connection you were seeking and so forth so if you find that you were misinformed about this great experience uh, with this drug is it possible then that you've been mis you've been misinformed about other drugs. And so it's important that people don't just stop with their own selfish experience, but to think about, wait, what's really going on or what happened? Um, because when they start to do like when they start to do that, then they are demonstrating an ability to think. And then when they have they have this ability to think, then maybe they will think about other people who continue to be vilified or to catch hell for the substance that they choose to use to do the same thing. Mm. And so mm -hmm. they don't just stop there, ask questions about, hey, why are we vilifying these people for doing yeah. what I'm doing? Well, And, I mean, yeah, there are all these billionaire stories about, yeah kind of bringing the toad somewhere to, until there are no toads for 5-MeO-DMT anymore. So, of course, there's a similar development. I don't know that, <laughs> that the, the, the billionaire story. I, I don't. Well, I mean, it's kind of, you know, when the toad vernum, like 5-MeO, yeah. became a topic. So, yes. And then I think Hamilton Morris was pointing out with a little bit of a um, activist 
thing to say, well, these toads are dying because so many people want to use them now. And then it became like a, a mess handbag that's you can't afford because it's like a hundred thousand. No, dollars. I, I, <laughs> so, I, I didn't realize and, that. Uh, so the toad became, and then the question, it's a very interesting example. The question was, well, you can also synthetically create 5-MeO-DMT. Mm -hmm. And then some people would say, yeah, but then it's not the toad. It's not from nature. Yeah. Meaning that at the same time, they kind of supporting the, the dying of this toad because they all they yeah. just want to accept the nature part of it. I see. Which I find very, like a privileged thing to what we said earlier. Yeah. We only do plants. Yeah. Of thing. So. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a funny story. <laughs> uh, but I would encourage people who are telling the, the toad story yeah. to think more about people. And mm -hmm. um, at the same time, Every year in the United States, more than a million people are arrested for using drugs, possessing drugs, not for trafficking, for using drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's the story. That's where I sure. want people to be worried about people first. Uh, because if we take care of our people first, those people will take care of the toes. Yeah. But take care of people first. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and I don't want people telling that toad story as if... Uh, that is progressive and something. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I want uh, tell us about the um, those billionaires who are doing drugs, um, uh, who are not um, saying anything about the million that yeah. we're arresting in, in in the country. I mean, I'm gr I'm great. I'm glad they they found their drug of choice. I'm all I'm all because if they're happy. If people are happy then you're more likely to treat other people better. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really care about. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, as a scientist, what is your, what is your really, the thing you want to bring forward with the support of science? Because as we know, David Nutt is also having a similar approach that drug policy should be based on science and not on racism or like, yeah. Yeah. Other bad forms of government. So, so you as a scientist, what is your goal for the next years to to set to, for clinic for, for trials or for to set in what topics you want to set in motion? Yeah, uh, so I've published hundreds of papers mm -hmm. in, in science, um, and the public still don't know that information. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'll continue to write books to try to help the public. Uh, read that information because scientific papers are boring as shit. And I understand why people don't read them. And so um, in, in terms of the science itself, um, people are doing science. They're doing um, good science. But frankly, these days it bores me because mm -hmm. I have to run a lab and I have to be responsible for people um in a management setting that's not that's not really what interests mm -hmm. me these mm -hmm. days the thing that interests me these days is becoming a better writer and communicating uh more effectively with the public so the public understands what the science actually says about this topic mm -hmm. one example um so i started working um, in the current my current lab, 1998, um, and over that over the course of that time, 
we gave on a daily basis, actually Monday through Friday, we gave over that time thousands of doses of heroin, thousands of doses of crack cocaine, thousands of doses of methamphetamine, of cannabis, without incident. Um, um, people had a good time. We studied these people. We learned about the effects of these drugs uh, administered alone, administered in combination. We learned so much. Mm-hmm. We learned about the condition under, under which you're more likely to see positive effects, more likely to see negative effects. We, we learned so much. Now, we gave up these drugs on all of these conditions without incident. Now, we did it um, because of the federal government giving us millions of dollars of grants that were supported by the taxpayers. Mm -hmm. So the taxpayers gave, supported Mm -hmm. this. Now, much of this information is published in the literature. Now, I would like people to understand something. If these drugs were so dangerous, why would the federal government give us millions of dollars to give them to people Mm. on a daily basis? So that message is what I'm trying to get the public to just simply understand. If you understand that, then you understand that you've been bamboozled, you've been hoodwinked, you've been lied to. Um, and so um, that's part of the mission that I'm on. Um, and at, at this moment, um, the, the real sort of focus is looking into like the overdoses because you can't talk about drugs in the United States without talking about overdoses. Um, and um, we need the overdose crises in the United States to continue funding this war on drugs. Now, um, every year we spend $46 billion, the budget, uh, in this effort to uh, so-called um, execute this war on drugs. Mm-hmm. $46 billion. Now, we everybody knows law enforcement is getting a lot of money out of this. But fewer people know um, uh, all of the other people whose hand is in the till, researchers, uh, physicians, um, medical examiners, um, uh, local uh, uh, politicians. Um, There are so many people who depend on this money that um, it's important to keep this story going. Now, um, even though someone may not has had not died because of the drug causing their death, but if they have a drug in their system, we call it a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. And we need to do this in order to keep the funding, in order to make sure that uh, we uh, have this big, large police apparatus um and we also and this also ultimately keeps our prisons filled Mm -hmm. you know uh and then so you say well 
it's not bad to make sure that people have jobs because we want people to have jobs. The real problem is when people's jobs are predicated on the subjugation of other people, that is putting other people in cages. Mm -hmm. And so when you see who are in our cages in the United States, my brothers, people who look like me, uh, uh, we make up 6% of the general population in the United States. We do black men, but we make up damn near 40% of the the prison population. And so you see these Mm -hmm. cumulative effects on people who look like me, on my nephews, and I have my sons who are at risk because of this apparatus needing them to continue. Uh, and so when you see these kind of things happening, um, it's horrifying and it's angering. Uh, and then you see that your profession is being used in order to perpetuate, mm-hmm. to promulgate this thing. Um, um, it does your head in if you are thinking um, and you see it go on. You write about it. I've written about these kind of things to try to help people to understand. Um, but when you're f- up against anti-intellectualism, people don't read and people don't want to know. Um it's maddening. Uh, and so that's why I do things like this. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, um, the fent- fentanyl crisis is like, an, yeah. it's a big topic right now. So, yeah. and people probably most people think, Oh yeah, there needs to be more money against war on drugs to beat this crisis. That's right. That's kind of the, that's right. The, in Europe, I think most people would still think that's this right. is the, to context yeah so and um but so how i mean i'm not asking you how to resolve this but so could you maybe explain how this structure yeah how how the context leads to something like a fentanyl crisis first of all there is no fentanyl crisis so let's let's (laughs) just get over that um now fentanyl is an fda approved medication Mm -hmm. in the united states Mm -hmm. It's been approved for nearly 50 years, right? 50. 50. Wow. Yeah. So it's an effective medication. It's used to treat pain, a moderate to severe pain, effective. Now, fentanyl um, is like a step up from morphine. So um, uh, it requires less fentanyl to produce uh, the pain uh, reduction mm-hmm. than, meth- than, than, meth- than uh, morphine. So... Um, uh, if, more, if people become tolerant to morphine, you might you might give them fentanyl, or if the pain is more severe, you may give them fentanyl, and it works. So as long as people know that they have fentanyl, it's a safe, effective medication, mm-hmm. right? So the problem with illicit fentanyl, um, um, some sometimes, uh, well, this doesn't happen as much, but it used to be where people thought that they had they had heroin. And they actually had fentanyl and they may take too much thinking that uh, I'll take the same amount of heroin because it's heroin. But and then they run the risk of overdosing because they didn't know. Mm-hmm. So they overdose not because of the drug, but because of ignorance. Right. So ignorance plays a role mm-hmm. in some drug overdoses and it plays 
uh, enough of an important role that you can implement a strategy, a, tr- a strategy that will help people like they have done in the Netherlands, in Switzerland, in Spain, in Austria, in Colombia, in a wide range of places. This strategy is that they have drug checking uh, procedures, mm-hmm. uh, places that you can go where you submit, say, a small sample of your drug, 10 milligrams, and then you get the entire content of that substance. So uh, if you thought you had heroin, oh, they'll tell you it's, it's you have fentanyl else. and something else, and they'll tell you the concentration in which it's, it, it, it occurs in the substance. So you have this chemical printout. Now, if you know you have fentanyl, you just take smaller amounts of it. Or if you have something that you, you're not aware of and it might be more dangerous, you don't take it. Mm-hmm. Now, these services are uh, they 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 uh, are all over the world. They um, they are found in, in places all over, except the United States. Mm, okay. These services are free and anonymous. Uh, so uh, those other places don't have so-called. Uh, overdose crisis mm-hmm. uh, and so if in the united states if we were genuinely interested in stopping so-called overdose crisis that's the first thing you would do mm-hmm. now i've written about this since 2015 and i wrote about it in the latest book and i've been advocating for this now just to give you an example of how pernicious and insidious um, our politicians are. Uh, Give me an example. Um, The president, every president, well, this president has uh, a discretionary funds budget uh, for opioids, for Mm -hmm. the overdose crisis. Discretionary fund of $10 billion, right? Wow. That's a lot. Now, None of the money has ever gone to setting up these drug checking facilities, which are not expensive. You can set these things up from anywhere from two hundred dollars to $400,000 a year, and you can just be up and running. Now, $10 billion he has, discretionary funds, on top of the $46 billion that they have for the war on drugs. None of that money goes into the program, the kind of program I'm describing. That's the first thing you would do if mm-hmm. you were concerned about mm-hmm. overdoses. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, when we say there's an overdose crisis, even if we we agree, say, okay, we agree. Yeah. But if you're genuinely interested in it, that's the first thing you do. And they have it. And it's not happening. And it's a lot of money that is available for this, right? I mean, it seems like a lot of money. You know, you know, I can even understand if they say, well, the $46 billion is already allocated to these different agencies. Fine. Mm. But you have $10 billion mm. discretionary funds that you can, uh, you don't need $10 billion. Uh, uh, you give me uh, a couple hundred thousand, we can set it up at Columbia and people can just mail in or whatever. 
Um, and, and in some places, um, it would be even easier to do this sort of thing. Mm. But that hasn't happened. Mm. So when people start talking about an overdose crisis in the United States, particularly when people write about it, see if they offer any solutions other mm. than fentanyl test strips. Have you heard of those? Yeah, things? yeah I heard about it. Yeah. Which is a joke. Uh, all they do is they tell you if fentanyl is in the substance. Anybody who uses opioids or purchases opioids on the streets, they know fentanyl is there. It's not going to alter their behavior because you know that it's tainted with fentanyl. Mm -hmm. mm. It's not a big, uh, so it doesn't provide any information. Doesn't tell you the concentration in which is there. It doesn't tell you anything else that might be there. So the fentanyl test strips are that's a joke. So you won't you won't have enough information to you won't have enough in information okay. to mm -hmm. actually alter your behavior or to tell you what to do. So you you continue to remain ignorant. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just one example of what you can do. If you really believe that this was the issue, interesting, yeah. yeah, and if you really cared, and what is what is a, a thing or like a direction you would like to see in in the so called psychedelic space or industry or, I mean, ecosystem? What what is something that you feel is really not being addressed? You know, I am really happy uh, for people who have found something that works for them. Mm. I am so excited for them. I would encourage them not to uh, be a part of that community. Um, um, uh, uh, that community um, um, is not one that uh, seems to have the goal of humanity uh, at heart. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, uh, so for peop individual people who are, uh, experimenting and having, uh, finding, uh, these things to be useful, mm -hmm. uh, I would encourage them, uh, please read something that I've written, um, about, uh, uh, being a humanitarian about, um, um, fighting for other people's um, liberty and humanity and treating other people's humanity as their own. But um, as this, uh, uh, one of the things that, I, I went to the psychedelic science meeting in Denver, this, yeah, yeah. this most recent yeah. one. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, I found it, um, I guess the only word I can say is gross. Um, because... Um, um, uh, there, uh, in order to get to that point, there are people, there were people, there continue to be people who were fighting for, uh, uh, their ability to be able to use these substances freely because they're fighting for their liberty. Um, that spirit was not there as mm -hmm. prominently as mm -hmm. it should have been. Um, and, and that's okay. Uh, some people, um, uh, that's fine. I don't have to be a part of that. Um, but I would encourage those people who are 
new to this, um, think about other people who use other substances, not the one that you use, and they are being vilified, just like you mm -hmm. were about this previously. Mm -hmm. um, and then figure out what you can do to highlight that. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, don't worry about being a part of a community uh, because um, this community ain't worth it, but being a part of. Um, be a humanitarian uh, because then that way your efforts will not be limited to someone's ability to take a drug because this is not about that. This is about people's freedom and liberty and about um, democracies all around the world living up to their uh, promises, their stated principles. That's what this is about. Because if, if you're here to just kind of hang out with people who do drugs, then I don't really want to hang out with you. I don't have time for you. You mean when you're in a psychedelic context and talk about psychedelics all the time, which can be a, I don't talk about psychedelics. <laughs> I talk about psychoactive substances. Yeah, yeah but I mean, you know yeah. what I mean? Like this, it's becoming more popular. It's in the media. You have interviews with people who would help who talk about their good experiences and how it saved their marriage or like helped them to overcome depression. So, but it's still, you're right. It's still a very, very individual approach. I, I don't even so. mind the individual approach. Yeah. The individual, um, if it helped to save their marriage, for example, I think that's a good thing. If they think it's a good yeah, thing, no, that's, sure. yeah. that's a good thing. Now, you're only just coming to this solution for a reason. You're only just coming to this solution because this particular drug had been vilified and you didn't you didn't think it would be, you thought it was a bad drug. Mm -hmm. I just want people to think about, wait, why was I lied to? Or why did they say that? Mm -hmm. And just do a little investigation. And then once you do that, and you don't that doesn't require much. Once you do that, you'll see that there there have been so much misinformation. Um, there have been so much um, purposeful, purposeful, purposeful misinformation uh, about this. And if you were intentionally misled about this drug, is it possible that the same people are intentionally misleading other people? Mm about the drug that they choose. That's all I want people to do. Mm -hmm. I just want them to start thinking. Just use this topic to think more critically about your life. Don't join those groups. Don't be a part of this community. Uh, not that group. Join the larger group of thinkers. Um, yeah. uh, because if you're just there to do drugs, then you're part of the problem. It's true. So meaning now is the time to enhance or enforce body autonomy all over the world, but also like to connect it to other, yeah, other bigger problems in society abortion. and culture, right? I mean, abortion, yeah. connected to abortion. Like why in the hell mm. are we telling um, somebody, a woman, what she should do with her body? Yeah. 
when she has to carry the pregnancy, that's not me. Even mm -hmm. if I, mm -hmm. even if I uh, was the one who donated my seed, I don't have to carry the body. I, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, no, I the fetus, and, sure. and so I, I don't have, I don't have to say so. And mm -hmm. this ain't complicated, but we, we, we said it's a political issue. Whenever we make something a political issue, then we pretend that evidence and facts don't matter. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the goal of political issues. It's like, so then people say it's political. That means that you no longer have to use empirical information. You no mm -hmm. longer have to use mm -hmm. facts. Um, and so I, I, I just want people to connect a drug issue, their drug issue, to other drugs, then to broader issues. If we do that, then we'll have a better society because then you will be able to see the injustices that other people face. And then um, uh, just understanding the injustices other people face um, uh, is a good thing. Mm. And then if you actually do something, say something, uh, change the way you behave, it increases the likelihood that we all will have a better time. So when you decide to take your psychoactive substances, you might even get an even better effect. Okay. But I, I want to quickly come back to this, um, was it 2014 when you ask you had like advertise like ads in the village voice yes was that yes was that 2014 oh uh, probably so we had them from the, the, the 90s all oh, the, the 90s. way okay. all the way to the uh, 2000 and i don't know 20s maybe so you uh, requested drug addicts who yeah. come to you join you in the study and talk about what they would experience yeah which is super interesting to me because it's kind of a not, oh, there's a drug addict so there are probably millions of ideas and reasons why people are doing this yes so i mean first of all first question would be so how did people react if somebody in a way took them serious so yeah. can you please come and talk about our your yeah. addiction and not like oh you're you know you're an addict you need treatment i don't want to hear anything yeah and also like was there a kind of a development that happened yeah why people actually went on this route for themselves no it's a good question so um i so i started doing drug studies in 90 in humans in 96 okay well that's early. in um in san francisco then new haven and then new york and we've always had sort of ads in the free paper ah, okay free paper so was. everywhere and all of yeah these all of these okay. places mm -hmm. and we we had ads seeking research participants, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we, I, I don't think we, we ever said drug addicts. We weren't looking for drug addicts. We would ask, we would ask something about, do you use this drug, mm -hmm. right? And, okay. and if, and then they would call in mm -hmm. and then we may do a quick telephone interview and then maybe invite them in uh, to have a, a in-person interview with someone like me or other people to gauge whether or not they met criteria for what at the time what we call mm -hmm. a substance use disorder, right? And so some studies, we were seeking people with a substance use disorder. That's what people typically call drug addiction. Mm -hmm. some, pe some studies, we were seeking those people. Other studies, we were not. We were mainly looking for people who just used a particular drug. For example, when I started studying methamphetamine, I knew 
almost nothing about methamphetamine. Uh, it was in the early 2000s. Uh, that was the debilified drug in at the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, I remember. And so uh, I was seeking those folks who were using methamphetamine. And... Um, and then we did studies where we people had who had been using methamphetamine. We gave them methamphetamine in some cases in the lab, vera, do various routes of administration like oral, like intranasal, whatever the study was interested in. Um, and so we learned a lot about the, 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 the direct effects of methamphetamine and the residual effects of methamphetamine mm-hmm. by studying them over time. More importantly, however, I learned a lot about the various subcultures in New York City who were using methamphetamine that mm-hmm. I, I did not know. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, at that time in New York City, the primary sort of uh, out users of methamphetamine were gay men uh, in New York City at that time. Um, and so I learned a lot about um uh, that subculture, how what how the drug was used, why the drug was used, and so forth, uh, and they they taught me uh, uh, a tre- tremendous amount, and so I learned a lot about drug use uh, in the natural environment from the research participants, people who use crack, people who use heroin. Uh, they te- they te- taught me about um, where the best methamphetamine was mm-hmm. where the best um heroin was how the best prices the best you know a, a wide range of things places that always sold you crap drug versus uh, places that sold you uh drug that was uh higher quality mm-hmm. uh, of course in doing these studies we had what you call a certificate of confidentiality where we couldn't be made yeah, to yeah, talk sure. to the police sure. about their sort of uh their participation and so forth um and, and so um, um i am grateful for our research participants i i should tell you we, we Learned a lot about cannabis under this condition. And being in New York, some of our research participants, for example, uh, our TV stars were, um, you know, when they started out, when they came to New York and they were trying to land jobs as actors. And um, I've seen people on various series and they are still there and they're doing well. And, and, they were in my studies in the nineties and um, interesting. Yeah. Um, so we, um, those kind of experiences led me to start writing books mm-hmm. to help people to understand that much of what we believe about drugs and drug users, um, uh, uh, it's myth. It, mm. uh, um, and, and, um, um, most of the people who did our studies, were some of the most responsible people you ever want to meet, no matter what drug they use, because we placed all kinds of demands on their schedules that they met. Um, And yeah. And so I've been writing books to try to help people to understand that, Hey, you know, don't believe these movies that you're watching. It's a, um, they're being written by lazy writers when it comes to drugs. Maybe not even lazy writers, but just like the, 
I mean, that's like, again, like this book, Christiana F., this is the forever determined narrative. And in the yeah. pandemic, some movie producer, um, he created like a new version of this with Gucci clothes and to make it more like, you know, Mm-hmm. And he had the same narrative and he had the chance to make a different narrative, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he copied the old narrative mm-hmm. just with the look was kind of stylish back then, Gucci advertising. So, but same narrative. Yeah. So it's kind of very strong kind of. So um, in, 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 I mean, in probably also in, like I say, in movie writing and I mean, now Griselda, you know, the female Pablo Escobar, I mean, I want to see it and I kind of don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I because, have, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. No, because it's kind of, you want to see a woman doing this, but then it's it already starts with, I've never seen a harder man than this woman. I'm like, oh God, how could no, you start a show? You don't want to see a woman doing that. I mean, this no. is this is like the the unthinking of society. Like Because a man did some stupid shit, why do you want a woman to do some stupid shit just because she can do it? It's like, yeah. no, we want women to have opportunities, you know, really the opportunities that are um, the coveted opportunities just because some guy is stupid. Please don't give me a stupid woman. That's some, <laughs> okay. that's stupid shit. I mean, we get it with race too, you know, um, um, uh, we want we want representation, not that representation. Fuck mm. that. You can have that. You you know yeah, yeah. that stupid representation. You can have it. Um, but but that's why uh, I try and write these books to try to help people to understand that the picture that you're being painted about drugs, um, it's intentional. Uh, one, um, it serves many functions it helps us to continue to fund this war on drugs one lots of money in that two it helps uh, it's easier for lazy writers to do some sensationalistic thing to take a shortcut mm-hmm. um and so uh, comedians yeah well. just think about this if, if you go to, if you hear a comedian do a show i guarantee you there will be some stupid reference to to drugs yeah sure course even with cannabis comedians are still stuck in this adolescent view of cannabis there they'd say uh i don't know somebody smoking weed all day sitting on the couch eating potato chips or something Mm -hmm. stupid that's from the 19 fucking 40s but they're still in that narrative even though cannabis is a legal drug in 24 states um and so when they get to other drugs, um, they will disparage the users of crack cocaine by calling them crackheads. And and it's okay to disparage a person who uses crack, but you can't disparage a, 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 a person who has sex uh, with uh, someone of the same sex. That's no longer cool yeah, to yeah. do that, but you can still disparage someone for the drug they use. You can't disparage someone for their race anymore, supposedly in public, but you can still disparage someone for the drug they use. It's like, what's wrong with you people? And if you're on a show like Joe Joe Rogan or Lex Fulminant, which are like the top shows. So, and obviously, I mean, I watched the Joe Rogan thing again. It's like, he's super supportive of you. And like, he's at least friendly, but as, as, as supportive as he can be. So does that does that have an effect actually? 
afterwards as a yeah as a kind of disguise legit kind of thing um so i did joe show three times yeah, right no so um i and his audience like when i travel all around the world yeah. people say oh i saw you on the yeah, joe yeah, rogan yeah. show mm -hmm. um and so that's a good thing um and so yeah i think that helps but i think that the main thing is um putting out books with major publishers right so the mm -hmm, publishers mm -hmm. um, they get you on like the legitimate shows like joe rogan uh this was just joe and i yeah, yeah the publishers yeah. didn't mm -hmm. do this um uh joe just uh, reached out and um oh wow uh, that's cool but the publishers they didn't do that but they um get you on like um the shows uh, that they consider legitimate the night the night the night shows the talk shows and so forth but i should tell you like my first book high price mm -hmm. i got on all of the sort of shows that were um milk toast kind of uh, um, uh the the mainstream shows mm -hmm. uh but drug use for grown ups None of the shows, uh, really? none of the, wow. except Trevor Noah, mainly. Yeah, okay. So Trevor and I had did a podcast earlier, and tr and Trevor was smart enough to know that, um, wait a second, you, you, you're saying some, some stuff that um, makes sense. Um, you know, like when tre Trevor and I were talking, I think offline, we were just talking, um, and he had a view of drugs, um, uh, and uh, drugs being kind of harmful to people who are suffering, just like mm -hmm. any compassionate person might have. Um, and he was, he had the view that those were the primary drug users. And then, so I think I was just saying, Trevor, think about this the illicit, the illicit drug trade is a multi billion dollar a year business, multi billion dollars. Can poor people support such a business that requires so much money? Of course not. Mm. So if it's making that kind of money, that means that middle to upper class people are the primary consumers. But, mm. but... But the narrative is, oh, these drugs are destroying these these people. And those are not the people who are the primary mm. consumers. Mm. But that sort of, but talking with Trevor and uh, explain to him, those are the kind of things that I'm interrogating in the book. Um, he, he could see that, yeah, this needs to be discussed. Um, whereas uh, people like, um, I don't know, Chris Hayes on, do mm -hmm. you know this person on yeah. MSNBC? Yeah. I did his show with the first book many times and he was, uh, enjoyed having me, but afraid of drug use for grownups, mm. you know? And so. But do you uh, think just the title is already like kind of, but people would say, oh God, that's, um, if we really talk about this, mm -hmm. like if you really say, yeah. Um, yes, you, it's totally like I mean, just uh, that's um, the Joe Rogan when when he said uh, like you can go to CVS and, and drink yourself to death, like yes. which a lot of people did. That yes. I also know it's no problem. Yes, but if you say oh I want to have 
like a little bit of MDMA. Yes. So it means that when you have a grown yes a drug use for grown ups, then yeah. you need to make a you should be able to make a grown up decision to say I don't want the cheap alcohol. I want uh, yes a tablet of MDMA. So yes. that's what everybody should decide by themselves. Yeah. So what are you? What are you? What is your, what is your question about the title? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I find it interesting that if you that I can now imagine how people are already like I'm not going to say triggered by the title. Yeah. But it it would it requires suddenly a decision also they had to make. I Do you know what you. I mean? Like it's kind of like um, okay, I'm a grown up, so um. I should be in charge of my own drug use. Yes. Kind of. So, and not, most people don't make that connection. They're like, well, this is illegal, so I'm not going to make a decision around this. Oh, I just make I a decision that I can drink alcohol and the rest is I would not talk about to my friends. I mean, now kind of in this, in your friendship circle, like you would have yes. a conversation, but not let's say you come back to your work on Monday morning and they say, oh, we had such a great MDMA weekend. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe you could do it in some fancy magazines or advertising, but if you say, if you work in an insurance company, I don't think it's a good thing to say, for example. I understand what you're saying. So, um, you know, so there are many issues here. I, I was just thinking about like, I think the title um, made some people afraid, yeah. you know, yeah, sure. mainstream sure. people um um which is um disappointing uh, mm. to me uh because um you know the subtitle is chasing liberty in the land of fear mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and so it's like um it's who we are so you want to get into that so if the title made people fearful my credentials should have yeah. made them feel more comfortable yeah, yeah, you know yeah, you don't yeah, get to be yeah. a, sure. a you don't get to be a black man tenured at columbia university if you ain't legit you know what i'm saying of course yeah uh, sure. and, and so um it's disappointing that but sure another point you're you're making is that it requires people drug use with grown-ups and when you, if you really think about mm -hmm. it it requires you to face the fact that Liberty, freedom comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility, right? If you yeah. actually want yeah. freedom, yeah. that means that you have to be responsible mm -hmm. for your actions. Mm -hmm. um, that is like, wait, I might want somebody to tell me that I shouldn't take that. I don't want to have exactly. that. That's what uh, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't want that decision myself. Mm -hmm. and that's cool if you feel that way. But let's stop pretending that mm -hmm. you want to be mm -hmm. free, uh, that you uh, want liberty. Let's stop pretending because um, I actually read the Declaration of Independence. I, re I read the Constitution. I read these things that promises me and you liberty and freedom. Um, and we said it made us uh, this experiment here better than experiments other places. Mm. This is what we were all, that's the nonsense we teach kids. So if we don't actually believe it, then we should probably change um, our advertisement. Um, yeah. and, and so um, I take that head on in the book. I, appoint, um, I, take a, uh, I take some time to explain to people that freedom and liberty is really hard because 
it requires you to be responsible. It requires a tremendous amount of uh, forethought, inhibitory control, all of these kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, those are issues we should be talking about. But do you think that is that this is a? I mean, European people would sometimes say this is a contrarian idea of a government, but it's because in Europe, what, what, what part is contrarian? Well, I mean, the the thing is, like, I mean, Europeans, as you know, are not so they're always terrified of making decisions by themselves, if I may say that. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm from there, so I yeah, can say. yeah, yeah, you you know. So, it but better. I mean, but they kind of like in America is kind of built on people making decisions and say, I'm building this company now yes. or yeah. I'm writing this book now yes. and tell people, you, sorry, you have to think for yourself. Yes. Kind of. So, but, and then like in, in, in a, let's say European context, this is already like a very kind of powerful decision that you would say, I'm making this decision mm -hmm. to tell people yes. so and so. And some people, Let's say people from the political department would say, well, that's super contrarian. If I somebody see. makes one decision and then claims this decision, other people should also look into this decision too. I see. So, No, you, you're that, helping me to understand Switzerland. For example, yeah. yeah it because be a good point. I, yeah. I live yeah. there half time. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah, and and do, so, yeah. um, uh, so I was perplexed because being in Switzerland yeah. helped to free some of the mental bars yeah, around course. my yeah. my thinking mm -hmm. about drugs because they seem so open-minded about this topic and they mm -hmm. um yeah. they have the heroin program mm -hmm. where people are uh, who uh, meet criteria for heroin use disorder they get heroin every day as part of their treatment along with other things mm -hmm. of course like uh, therapy but so it helped to change my thinking about heroin going there. And then when I wrote the book and then interact with many of the people who helped me to understand this, um, yeah, they were more uh, subdued and cool and um, um, their behavior didn't match what they, they claimed their principles were. Mm -hmm. Uh, based on what you're saying, they the idea, if I could uh, just summarize, and, and of course this this is a generalization, uh, the idea was basically we, the elite, tell the rest of the mm -hmm. population. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. We, what to do. Well, we, we say that we believe in those principles, but we are the ones that tell them mm -hmm. what to do. We mm -hmm. don't really want them making no decision. And that was said to me uh, explicitly, basically. And whereas I thought that it was more egalitarian when in fact, no, it's more authoritarian. Mm -hmm. and, and so that was a surprise to me and it's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it is what I mean. And, yeah. and also, like, I remember like when you, I mean, there are some therapists like who, in, in Switzerland who are doing like LSD therapy for a long time. And in certain cantons, I think you can request something like a compassionate use allowance, I think also for mushrooms, but also for LSD. And then it comes from there. So it's kind of, you still have to like, can I please do this with this patient? Because it's such a hard case that that person won't have any other success in, in, in um, healing than without LSD therapy. So it's still a system where you have to ask yeah. For 
not breaking the law. And mm-hmm. then I know of some some lawyers in Switzerland who went went to jail because they were mm-hmm. involving be involved in some therapist practice or just for half a year. But at, at least still, they, you would think like, oh, they're lawyers, nothing can ever happen to them. But still, it's kind of a it's still kind of a gray, very gray area. But but and I feel like I mean also in the it's a psychedelic context in Europe. People are very, really terrified still to get into a legal conflict. Kind of. Yeah. I really, I mean, you, you must feel that in Switzerland. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. It, it's, um, it's uncomfortable. In fact, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to stay in Switzerland very long. Okay. Um, because of this, uh, dissonance that mm-hmm. this is causing mm-hmm. me, but I, I but I had to discover this yeah. over years because people were telling me one thing, um, but um, they were they were telling me this thing were for the people, but it was yeah. really about elitism, and um, um, I might in their eyes be elitist or be one of the elite, but not the common people. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't want to say this yeah. for everyone, and um, and and the, the Switzerland Constitution. It's a really good one. I mean, yeah, it explicitly yeah. says um, something about mental liberal, mm-hmm. mental liberty. Mm-hmm. So it's like oh, wow. okay. psychoactive yeah. substances. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it uses that phrase, mental liberty. Mental liberty. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, this explains. Uh, this helps uh, me understand some things. But these are the kind of things that in life, for me, that makes life rich mm-hmm. because um, um, I want to contribute to um, uh, helping uh, people uh, uh, live more freely uh, or, or contribute to people living according to the promises of their government. Uh, and when the governments fail to do so, the people say something uh, to get it to make sure that they the government meets their promise. Uh, um, I was always told that was a good thing. <laughs> That's a great ending, I think. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was really incredible. Thank I mean, you. Of course, we could have talked for six hours about this. But um, I think this is one of the best podcasts I ever did. And I, I always knew it would be very good to have a conversation with you. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. Because totally. I did. I did. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Thank you for getting me out of the house because very it's so good. hard to get up in the United States um, out of bed because of the horror that's happened uh, with, on our political scene with these idiots who run for office. So thank you. You're welcome. Hey, and thank you for listening to this episode. Since I have you here, I just wanted to remind you, please follow us on Instagram, The New Health Club, on X, The New Health CL1, on LinkedIn, and please subscribe to our newsletter on Substack. I'm very happy if you are a returning listener and customer and fan of The New Health Club.